I'm going to ask for a couple of volunteers in a minute. I'm going to ask you to pray for Rowena. So if it's on your heart that you would like to come and do that, just take that to Jesus for a minute. Hi, I'm Robin, for people who don't know me. Um, and we have a wonderful collection of pastors who preach. And we have a wonderful woman who runs our family and children's ministry. So people that don't know her, this is Rowena. Rowena, come on up here. We don't often have Rowena up here, and often when we have guest speakers come, we like to pray over them before they begin. So I wanted to selfishly take that opportunity with Rowena. So if that invitation I made a moment ago, if there's a couple of volunteers, don't have to be session members, can be anyone, any age. If you love Rowena, may we lay hands on you? Yeah. I actually never asked permission to do this, so it's yeah. a little late now. Hey, all right. So I will begin, and if there's someone else who wants to offer a prayer, I'm okay here. All right. So, Father God, Son Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for Rowena. Thank you for all of the ways you have gifted her. Thank you for her heart. And today we thank you for her voice. Will you bless her, give her your words, and will you open our hearts and our ears to hear the words how you would like them heard? Thank you, precious Lord Jesus, for the gift of your daughter, Rowena. And we bless her now, Father, that as she pours out what you have put on her heart, It will come clearly to our hearts. May we be receptive to hear that. And even as it pours out from her, will you pour back in and fill her up to the fullness of overflowing. Lord, we're on the brink of a new school year. And so I'm praying that as you fill her even now, you will be continually filling her through this year ahead, giving her grace, insight, wisdom, humor, and stamina for how you want to unfold not only today's word, but the ministry that lies before her. And Lord, I just hope Rowena knows that she's been an amazing blessing to my children, especially over the last four years. And I just want her to know that John and I truly appreciate her, Lord, and that she's helped save our children, not only spiritually, but actually physically as well. And we love her, so we hope she knows she's such a blessing to the children and the young adults of this church. Thank you for her being my mom. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you for this time. We pray protection over Rowena. We thank you, and we ask you to bless her as we go forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's going to be hard to get through this without crying. (laughs) (laughs) And what an incredible place to start talking And speaking the words of Psalm 91 to you this morning, because that, what you just saw for me, 
was a glimpse of what it means to dwell in God's presence, in God's shelter. It's a glimpse how beautiful that was, and yet it is only a glimpse of what it means to stand before our God in his loving embrace. So I'll read from Psalm 91 this morning. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked if you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling place. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, said the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In the middle of the storm... In peace, in the wrestling with questions, in despair, when absolutely nothing makes sense, when we don't have answers about our environment, about poverty and suffering, when we struggle in moments of crisis, of choice, of sickness, when our children and grandchildren are struggling, when we look into the eyes of our spouse and don't recognize the us anymore. In these moments, We are called to a place of peace, of shelter. But for more than a moment, Psalm 91 calls us in to a permanent place of residence with our Savior. Not a stopover in a nomadic, wandering spiritual life. So I wanted to start with this question this morning. What do we need shelter from? What is God drawing us away from? These bird hunter traps, disease, terror of night, the arrow that flies, the torturing heat of the midday sun. What do these mean? As broken people in a broken world, we are, well, broken. We are worn by uncertainties, by fears, by words and images that shape us from an early age. We walk through our lives and through situations with baggage like a locomotive carrying cars of shame, mistakes, broken promises, and experiences that shape our understanding of ourselves, of others, our world, and even of God. These words of attack are not just grandiose words or cool little things. A friend of mine is crippled and overwhelmed by feelings of fear and mistrust in relationships 
because of betrayals and dishonesty previously experienced. Crippled to the point of being overcome by suspicion and rage, perverting any sense of seeing the situation clearly, which prevents them from experiencing that very loving relationship that they desire. Perhaps you've seen this in family relationships. Family members that crave love and acceptance but are unable to receive or even see past what, or even see what is being offered, literally unable to see their way past mistakes or perceptions. And in these moments, they walk away, they yield to the power of that deception and don't talk to us again or fight and battle from a polarity, a stance of opposition. And the lies take hold in our lives. Because I work with our youth, I need to say this. Research shows that girls' self-esteem peaked at age nine. This profoundly impacted me when I heard this. Just nine. What does that mean for them? It means our young girls are somehow getting the message at age nine that they are not good enough. That who they are isn't good enough. Even before they reach double digits. It means that from that point on, their confidence starts to fade, slipping away as insecurities, doubts, body images, body image issues start to take hold. Unless intervention happens, this can continue until adulthood, when in their mid-40s and 50s, they experience a crisis of personhood. Beautiful, smart, engaged young women of all shapes and sizes and abilities, impacted by our broken world. Their very core of their identity. Wikipedia defines imposter syndrome as a pervasive feeling of self-doubt, insecurity, and most significantly, feeling like you are a fake. Often, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, it strikes smart, successful individuals. It often rears its head after an especially notable accomplishment, like getting into a prestigious university. You feel like a fake. Public acclaim, winning an award, earning a promotion, It doesn't discriminate. People of every demographic suffer from feeling like a fraud, although minorities and women are hit the hardest. In the International Journal of Medical Education, an assessment of incoming students to a medical school asked the question to these students, do you feel like you deserve to be here? 79% of women and 25% of the men thought that they got in on a fluke. Students further on in their studies were asked the same questions and 49% of the female medical students experienced this imposter syndrome and 24% of the male medical students. Even in the face of our own accomplishments, we can fear being discovered or unmasked. Achievers often feel like they've made it this far under wraps. But the day will come when their cover will be blown and all will be revealed and they will be seen as a fake. These fears... These deep, deep down fears impact us in profound ways. Wrestling with unworthiness impacts our personal relationships with others, spouses, our communities, and with God. These diseases claim our vitality, the arrows that pierce our soul, the traps that we fall into cripple the image of ourselves. Does this matter? And I would say it matters in two significant ways. Mike Manson, in Practicing the Presence of People, says, Love for itself, love for self, is not selfish. Because the way I see myself is like a pair of glasses, which I look at the world. 
If my image of myself is poor, then my vision will be warped so that I cannot see beauty in others. But if I see myself as God sees me, with loving kindness, then I will see everyone else through those same glasses. The other impact is like this. These deep-rooted things that impact our sense of identity can be barriers for us for receiving God's love. I struggled as my childhood and as a young adult with unworthiness. And I remember that moment at a small group in university reading about God's profound love where I burst into tears because I felt unworthy and unreachable by God and wanted so strongly to be loved that way and yet could not find a way to receive it. God calls us into shelter, under his wings, into his shadow for a purpose. It isn't just for a momentary crisis. His protection and care is not just for a midnight moment of panic or even a pretty major issue like finances, job loss, or issues in our marriage or relationships. God is calling us into relationship that transforms us into our very core. The second question I want to look at is what shelter? I can't speak for all of us in this room, but generally speaking, I find humans are great problem solvers. I can personally attest to this because my husband is, can pretty much fix anything with duct tape. <laughs> Even once, when we had an argument, he made me a duct tape rose. <laughs> yeah, I still have it. Our creativity as humans is fantastic, occasionally hilarious, and also very frightening. See, there comes a time in our lives when we learn to hide ourselves. We create our own identity shelters instead of going to God's. We are trying to solve a problem. In just a moment, the child leaves their childhood, their freedom, and learns that hurts and pains happen and how to protect themselves. And as humans, we are really good at not turning to God for our sense of self, but find other ways to protect ourselves. In junior kindergarten and senior kindergarten at St. Francis of Assisi Catholic School in Guelph, where my children go, the kids play Paw Patrol. In grade one, the boys play mini sticks or soccer. In grade two, they play Pokemon and Minecraft. And in grade three, they play Fortnite, a battle game online where they hunt each other with virtual weaponry. So I struggled. You want the very best for your kids. You want them to fit in and to have friends, to have a group of friends at school to pave the way. You want them to not know pain. And I struggled because in grade one, when my child was supposed to like mini sticks, he liked Paw Patrol. My son didn't like Zuma, the boy, boat driving, marine Paw Patrol. He liked Sky, the flying pink girl Paw Patrol dog. He got teased. And his characters he brought to, got to, brought to school got stolen and tossed around. And I wrestled. I wanted to say, maybe you could just play hockey at school. Maybe at least bring Marshall instead of Sky. I wanted to outright ban bringing Paw Patrol to school. I wanted things to be easy, but I didn't. 
Instead, I spoke about we all, we all have a different interest than to follow your heart. Because the consequence, the life consequence of this, is that I would be teaching him that you need to be someone else for others. For the world. And not be the amazing, wonderfully created child of God that he is. I would teach him to yield. To take refuge in building an image, not the refuge and shelter of God. And maybe in grade one, maybe in grade one, dealing with Paw Patrols isn't that important. But when he is 15, and he's deciding to walk his way as a Christian, in the way of adversity, and when other kids are walking different ways, it is my heart's desire that he have that foundation. And maybe one piece of that foundation will be the pink sky Paw Patrol character from grade one. And so we come to a place, the crossroads, where we choose to build our own shelters, a corrupt and broken process of forming our identity where we develop strategies. Clothing, image, jog success, false identities, and in a world that is increasingly digital, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, LinkedIn, it's not just kids, online gaming, it has become easier and easier to edit ourselves. And as we create a whirlwind of busyness around us, we make it more and more difficult to be still and dwell in the presence of God, a place where we can reflect and see the beautiful, created people that we are. We can easily see how we create our own shelters, shadows, refuges. These protect, insulate, and even give us a sense of power and confidence. Our identities are associated with all sorts of things, our achievements, where we work, success that we have achieved on projects, the amount of money we make, the good work we do in our church community, how we are parents, our grades, achievements in sports, high scores in gaming. These aren't bad things. Lots of these are cause for celebration. The problem is when they become our sense of security and identity. Our places of shelter and being covered. When they shape how we value others or become barriers to how we surrender to God, and how easily we know that these shelters crumble. A simple illustration is this. Is our church, our youth group, our small groups at Corey, a place that we can come home to? In my very, I was in my very first small group when I found out I was pregnant with my oldest son as an unmarried young woman. And when I found out I was pregnant, I felt so bad and ashamed that instead of turning to them, I never went back again. After he was born, I was searching for a church. And I met with a pastor in a neighboring church in the community I lived and told him I was ready to join. And I was excited about going to church. And he ended our conversation by praying and praising God. And then told me, don't come this Sunday. So he could explain to the congregation my situation. If God has ever lit a fire in me, it is this one. <laughs> to always have an open door and an open heart to whoever walks into my life. And I'm going to ask us this. Who do we want to be here How do we send this message in a million ways to the people in our community so it is impossible to miss? How do we show the stranger not just welcome, but love? 
How do we embrace and give grace and forgiveness to those who've made mistakes here? Hold the hand of those who are weary. Be a place to come home to. This picture of church is just a glimpse of what it means to dwell in the shelter of God and to rest in the shadow, to be covered by his feathers, to have God stand before us with his faithfulness, being the shield that protects us from the fury of that brokenness this world has unleashed on our souls. So how do we get there and what is it like? I have a spot where I like to teach from and it's over there in the youth room. I have the arm of a couch that I like to sit on and a pen. I conceded with the pen. I'm sorry, guys. You're probably wondering why I'm clicking it, but it's my pen. It's a great place, a comfortable place. And when I was thinking about standing before all of you here, my first inclination was how to fit you all into the youth room. (laughs) Or if it would be really weird for me to drag a couch out and sit on the arm. kind of considered it. It's safe to say it caused me some anxiety. A storm, in fact. Every insecurity rose up like a raging dragon. And I started preparing for the sermon by writing these words to God. Lord, I am so unworthy of the work you are doing here. My spirit is in shambles. How can I stand before your people and speak words that are nothing more than pretty thoughts? I was not dwelling in any shelter or feeling covered by any wings. So it was a good place for me to start was with this psalm. My mother-in-law and her great wisdom reminded me that many of the greatest and most profound teachings in the Bible come from broken places, places where people are wrestling. And after thinking on this for a while, the thought came to me that I was like Jonah running to the boat rather than Jonah coming to Jesus and jumping off the boat and swallowed by the whale. And yet, God brought me to a place of longing to rest in his shadows, to be covered by his love, peace, grace, and powerful protection. Because before that, I was doing this to God. I was being stubborn. I was staring at him. He was staring at me. We were looking at each other. And I was like, I'm not coming. I was stubborn, knowing full well he was looking at me and I him. And one of the people praying for me this week said he probably had a smile on his face. And of course, God led me to this psalm. He calls us to this place in this psalm while we are still broken. He calls us to a place of shelter while we are still broken. He calls us we are, while we are still in our struggle. He calls us to be comforted. He calls us to be surrounded by the arms of the Father. The term refuge is used three times in Psalm 91. And the term is also echoed in the words of shelter, shadow, fortress, dwelling place, wing, and shield. Clearly, this is something we are meant to notice. The term refuge is the root metaphor for the Lord's protective care. It means protected space to look to the Lord for security from threatening dangers. And while the first part of the psalm is a declaration of trust, of moving into that space, the second part is an assurance of God's promises. He says, while we're in this space, I will deliver. I will protect. I will answer. With him will I be in distress. I will save. I will honor. I will satisfy. And I will show. 
This is more than a place of temporary residence. I heard one pastor explain it this way. If I ask you where you are staying, this implies a short stop or a visit. The word dwell means much more. It's asking you where you live. It implies permanency. God is calling us to a relationship where you love him and he rescues. Where you acknowledge his name and he protects. Where you call and he will answer. Where you will not be alone in times of trouble and where he will deliver and honor you. A restoration of dignity. He is calling us home. God is calling us not to rest up, but to this relationship. And it is in this place that we experience what it means to be safe, a place of trust, where we hear his voice and we feel his arms and where we can start to peel away at the lies we have believed about who we are and start to see the shelters that we have built to protect us as nothing more than what they are, mirages. There's a moment that I love in the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's the fourth book in the Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. One of the main characters, Eustace, has been turned into a dragon. Just when Eustace is starting to completely freak out about not being able to go in the boat because he's a dragon. And he's afraid of being left behind. Aslan shows up, and Aslan is our character who represents God. He tells Eustace that to become human again... He must first take the dragon skin off. Quite So Euston starts to scratch his scales, and the old reptilian skin kind of starts falling off quite easily, and he calls it a lovely feeling. But as soon as he tries to step into the pool, the dragon skin reappears. So he repeats the process until he realizes that he can't take his own skin off. Aslan, of course, can only do that. And this is how Euston describes Aslan scraping off his skin. The very first tear he made was so deep that I had thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able be able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab before or a sore place, it hurts like bilio, but it is such fun to see it coming off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass. Only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I'd been. And then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I turned into a boy again. And just like this, in this place of dwelling that God calls us to, he restores us. I have loved Jesus for over 20 years now. I have known his care and love in profound ways and have lived and dwelled in the shelter of the Most High and I have known peace. But I will tell you that there are ways that I forget the way home. Last year at this time, I was experiencing one of the most painful moments of my life. 
when my oldest son was making decisions that were not part of God's best plan for him. To be fair, all of us have made these choices and decisions, myself included, so I don't share this to judge or to shame him, but to tell you my part of that story. I have listened to many of you wrestle with the same types of situations, with your children, your grandchildren. For some of our youth, it's a scenario that they experience with friends at school, with siblings, and with their parents. And I'll tell you, though, that I remember every arrow that pierced my heart, the pain and the feeling of someone I loved so much that I had poured the best of who I am into and I could see was making decisions that would put walls between himself and God. Walls that divide a fullness of life in Christ from death. And I was angry. I wanted to fight and yell and scream and kick things and I did them. And Frank can bear witness to the kicking. And then I wept. In the middle of the night, which I remember clearly, of rage and despair, God called me. Justin will like this because it was in a song, a worship song, in these words, I am no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. These words were not quiet. They were a shout, a pretty loud one, because they had to, you know, go over the din of the kicking and crying. And I spent the night reading the Psalms and crying out in pain and being comforted by God. I prayed and I raged at him. I listened to his word, read his word. I worshipped in song and through journaling. And the next day, I went and sought prayer from others. God called me home, and my road map was worship, prayer, and his word. He has given me a resting place in that pain, a place where I can trust that even through the darkness nights, that I am not on my own, that he loves my son more than I can fathom, and that he has not forgotten him. And I have written these words, worship, prayer, and his word in the front of my Bible as a reminder of the way home. Even in the midst of our fight and despair, his arms are wrapped around us, and he gives us, in this place, profound hope and inspiration and comfort. Lord, give us eyes to see the lies about our identity clearly. Help us to see the way they warp and destroy who we are as your child. If we don't know what this looks like, God, give us a glimpse of how you see us, perfectly broken and loved more powerfully than we can imagine. Help us to love others this way, to have no pretense with each other, no judgment, no expectations. Help us to see the way that we have built shelters in our lives, and let go of them. If they are damaging us and pulling us away from you in unhealthy ways, lead us into freedom. If they become the place where we feel strong and justified as significant with a sense of purpose and power, 
Help us to let go of that and find those things in you and you alone. Call us home to your resting place, a place to be transformed and set us free from all that holds us, to be more than we can imagine, bring us to a place of hope and a place to be called to a purpose and inspiration. In your word I pray. Amen.